because he has loved us with an everlasting love. You know, the first song that the, you know, the choir sang, uh, that the steadfast love of the Lord. That is Jeremiah's in Lamentation, the book of Lamentation. The steadfast love of the Lord. The love of God is steadfast, my brothers and sisters. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never ceases. It says his compassion, his mercies never come to an end. Never comes to an end. Just imagine that. That his grace, his compassion, his mercies never comes to an end. But it is renewed unto us every morning. Every moment. The mercies of God. You know what mercies means? Mercies means that I don't have what I deserve. God has not given me what I deserve. I deserve judgment. I deserve condemnation. But God has not given me what I deserve. He said he has given me his grace. And his grace means that he is giving me what I do not deserve. He's given me what I do not deserve. God's grace means what? Unmerited favor. Unmerited kindness. Unmerited blessings. Amen? Amen. Thank you, uh, our set man and uh, his lady. You know, the, when Adam was asked to name, was asked to name things, you know, he called his wife woman. He called his name woman. And that was in the age of innocence. Man had not fallen then. You know, the name Eve came after the fall. Woman means <laughs> Isha. It means the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. Adam named his wife after him, you see, because she was taken out of me. You know, in some parts of the world, when you call a lady woman, it's, you know, it sounds derogatory. Jesus called his mother woman. He says, my lady. Eve is, is the name that is attached to what you do. You say, Eve, you shall be called Eve. Because you're the mother of my children. A function. It changed from identity to a function when sin came in. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Banks and uh, Pastor Sharon, for giving me the opportunity to, to share again. And it's so good to have you back. So good to have you. I was feeling lonely each time I turn around and, and um, I don't see you guys. So I'm so glad that you are back. Uh, that encourages me to even stand here. It's good to be seen, brothers and sisters, and it's so good to see you all. <laughs> um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for that promise that your steadfast love never comes to an end, and that your mercies, your compassion, your blessings are renewed unto us every moment. And so we sit here because of your grace, we sit here because of your mercy, we sit here because of your blessings. 
We want to live out, we want to experience that blessing, that grace, your unmerited favor on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. So, Father, have your way. I yield all of my members unto you, my tongue, my vocal cord, that your word will flow through, and that you shall give me the utterance to be a blessing unto your people. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody says, Amen, amen and Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn, turn with me to the book of Romans. <coughs> the book of Romans. And I'm going to read a very long passage. A very long passage, about 24 verses. And I do this because we want to preach the Word of God. I don't want just my own words to come forth, but the Word of God itself. Romans chapter 5. And... Um, We'll read from verse number 17, verse number 17 to Romans chapter 6, verse 19. It's a long passage, but if you can just speak out, if you can just listen and let God himself, the Holy Spirit, minister to you, pick out some nuggets from that, then I may not need to preach. Amen. And I'm going to read from um, the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation. Or, no, let me read from the New American Standard Bible. New American Standard Bible. Verse 17 says that, For if by the transgression of the one, that's referring to Adam, dead reigned through the one, Adam, and he says, much more. Everybody say, much more. Much more. Much more. Those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign through the one, Jesus Christ himself. So then, as through the one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through an act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase. And that is what the law always does. The law comes to show us how sinful we are and that we cannot help ourselves. The law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse chapter one, chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into the dead in order that Christ was raised from the dead 
through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Can we also, we walk in the newness of life. We walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing again that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the dead that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that it should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Again, may it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves, for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Either you obey sin that results in death or of obedience to God resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, he became slaves of righteousness. And I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Resulting in what? Sanctification, meaning holiness. Sanctification, meaning holiness. I'm so pleased and I greatly rejoice because the grace message um, is deepening in this body. Amen? We've had the grace message now for over a year and um, I'm beginning to see the impact in our lives. I know there is a lot of impact in my own life. You know, grace means what? Unmerited favor of God. Unmerited favor of God. We are seeing so much impact in the lives of the people. Many are coming to realize that the blessings or the favors that they are receiving from God is not as a result of your performance. And that is what grace is. That is what the gospel is. Actually, you know, the gospel 
It's the good news of the grace of God. That's what the gospel is. That my salvation or your salvation, the blessings that we have from God, is not as a result of what I did or didn't do, but as a result of what Jesus Christ did. And that is 2,000 years ago. It's not based on my performance. Okay, my holiness, my sanctification, my righteousness is not based on what I do, but it's based on what Jesus Christ has done. And I like one of the verses that I read earlier, and that was the first verse. It says, if by the transgression of the one death reigned, then through one much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Amen? Amen. You see, there is a comparison between what sin has brought into our lives through Adam and what Jesus Christ has done. It says, those that have received the abundance of grace, uh, that word really means the exceeding abundance, the super abundance of grace. Uh, how many of us have received the abundance of grace? Can I see your hands up? It says, if you have received the abundance, the super abundance of grace, and God does not, you know, just give out grace, you know, a little. He says he lavishes his grace upon us. It's, that is a lavishing. Those that have received that, and also the gift of righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. We don't earn it. We don't earn righteousness. And righteousness means a right standing with God. I am in right standing with God. So those that have received that, what will they do? They will reign in life. You will reign in life. You will reign over, you know, situations in life. You will reign over poverty. You will reign over bitterness. You will reign over anxiety. You will reign over guilt, shame. Just you will reign. And that is an assurance, brothers and sisters. It says you will reign in that because you have the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace. You know, not only do we, uh, you know, uh, our hearts are deepening in the grace message, but also the truths of the grace message. You know, uh, John said that, that the law came with Moses, but grace and truth are realized by who? Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus gives the grace, but he also adds the truth. Amen. The woman that was caught in adultery, you know, you know, the men standing around wanting to stone her. Okay, she was ready to die. And Jesus began to write, began to write. He said, if anyone, any one of you has never sinned, let him be the first to cast the stone. We are told that they all left, and the woman was left alone. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes, he said, where are the men that... We're ready to stone you. And the woman said, they all left. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Amen? That's grace. You deserve to be stoned according to the law, but I do not condemn you. And what next did he say? Go and sin no more. That is the truth. Go and sin no more. So grace and truth, they always have to go, what? Hand in hand. Hand in hand. And so it, it, is, it is in line with this thought that grace and truth, they always go hand in hand. 
that I want to share with you in the few minutes that I have left, um, the motivation for living a holy life. Our motivation for living a holy life. Amen? Amen. You know, whenever the grace message is preached, to the extent that the scriptures uh, uh, teach us, the extent that Paul himself preached it, whenever it is preached in the purest sense, there are bound to be questions. There will be some logical questions. And those questions have been asked right from the time of Paul, when he wrote to the church in Rome, when he wrote to the church in Galatia, when he wrote to, when he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, that same question kept coming. It kept coming. And it is even here with us today. Now, because he says that my righteousness with God, my holiness, does not depend on what I do. It doesn't depend on what I do. It doesn't depend on what I do not do. It doesn't depend on performance. But it depends on what Christ and Christ has done. Only that. My blessings. And if that is true, then why do I bother to be holy? Do you see the reasoning? If my behavior, my bad behavior, does not stop the blessings of God, doesn't stop the blessings of God, then why bother to be, to be holy? You know, they kept asking Paul how to encounter and to deal with those questions. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, it was even a, a very, very funny question. Very funny question in Romans chapter 3, I think it's from verse 5 to 6. They said, well, Paul, are you saying that if I sin, then it is going to magnify the righteousness of God? In other words, if my sin makes God even more holy or great, you know, his reputation is increased if I sin, then why should God punish me if I commit sin? So let's just go out and keep on sinning so that the reputation of God will be made even greater. Do you see the, you know, the logic in that? It was stupid, though, because it just tells you a misunderstanding of the grace message. In the same way, in, in uh, uh, Romans 6 that we read, verse 1, coming from Romans chapter 5, where he said that sin reigned, bringing death. The law came in order to increase sin. Because when you pass the law, when you pass sin through the law, it comes out bigger. You see, the law makes sin bigger. The law was given not for us to obey, but to show us that we are sinners. It says, where sin reigned and the effect of sin was great, you see, much more, much more, grace increased. In other words, if the effect of sin stopped here, the effect of grace is going to go much, much deeper to erase sin. 
meaning that there is no amount of sin that you have ever committed that grace would not erase. If you were to put grace and sin on a scale, it's going to tip towards the side of grace because the effect of grace is much, much greater than the effect of sin. Amen? And so following that, we now ask, all right, if grace is much, much deeper than sin, should we now just go out and commit sin so that we'll have more grace? Do you see the logic? Should we just now go out and commit more sin? Because the more sin we commit, the more grace that we are going to have. And uh, also in verse 15, the same question came in. It says that, that sin shall not have dominion over us. Why? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. You see, the, not, the law could not stop us from sinning. Because the more, we, the more law we have, we were attracted to sin. You know, in fact, it says that the law increased our passion for sin. And that is true. The only thing you have to do to, uh, you know, to make a child sin is just to tell him, don't. The moment you say, don't, he's going to be attracted to doing it. Laws will always bring us to that place. Law increases our passion for sin. And so they say, well, since we are not under the law, and now we are under grace, should we just now go out and sin? Because there is no law, we are not we are free from the requirements of the law. There is nothing stopping us from doing what we want to do or not do. So do we now go out and just start sinning? And of course, Paul, in his characteristic, but I said, never. In fact, it was a resounding no. The, the literary translation of that word that is translated, God forbid, okay, it means Perish that thought. Perish that thought. In fact, it was the strongest, it was the strongest term or denial or rejection of that idea, the term that Paul used, short of invoking profanity. You know when we say, hell no. Yeah, you get the message. In other words, that can never be. That can never be. And so he has rejected or denied that idea that because we are now under grace, so we should now go out and sin. Amen? He said never be. So now Paul now begins to tell us why that is not so. Why we should not go out and live in sin. Why we should live a holy life. Amen? So I'm going to give us a few of those because of the time. From that passage and from other places, I will not go into the details of our motivation for living a holy life. You see, motives are very, very important. In fact, they are more important than we could ever think. You see, you can do the right thing, but you have the wrong motives. And it doesn't bless you. In fact, in the, uh, in the book of... Uh, Corinthians, when Paul was writing about uh, love, and say you can sing like an angel, you can blow tongues, you can speak in several tongues, and you don't have what? Love. You are what? Sounding symbol. 
You can even give your body to be burned at the stake. Do all the sacrifice your life, and you don't have love. It profits you nothing. So the motives behind everything that we do is very important to God. God looks at the motives. It looks at the heart. It looks at what is inside there instead of the outside. So it is important that we have the right motives when we live holy. You see, God commands us to live holy, right? Yes. He commands us to live holy. Uh, in fact, it says, uh, it says, be holy for I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. So what is the motive for living holy? Does my holiness, does it, does it favor God? You know, or does it favor me? Do I live holy so that God will bless me more? So that God will answer my prayers? Does my holiness impress God? Okay, so we want to look at the right motives because if we have the right motives, then we have the right results. The right motives gives you the right results. Amen? Amen. So, let's look at the motives for living holy. And uh, before we go into that, let's, let's just define what holiness is. Let's try and define what holiness. What is holiness? We've looked at the two questions. Should we go out and live? The way we want, should we go out and live in sin so that we have more grace? Holiness. You know, from man's point of view, um, you know, we often look at holiness as sometimes just avoidance of sin. Say, if I avoid sin, then I'm holy. Uh, we say we are separated. We are separated from God. Sorry, we are separated from the world unto God. And then that is holiness. We talk of... Uh, Moral purity, and that is holiness. However, because holiness is not a man's thing, holiness is a God's thing. Amen? Holiness is a God's thing. And so if we want to define holiness, we have to define it from the perspective or the viewpoint of God. Amen? We have to define holiness from the viewpoint of God. Why? Because we are told to be holy just because God is holy. So if I want to be holy, I have to look at God's holiness. I have to look at God, God's holiness. So from God's viewpoint, what is holiness? And holiness means wholeness. It means wholeness. It means completeness. And to say that God is holy, we are referring to his wholeness. We are referring to his fullness. We are referring to his completion. We are referring to the abundance, the superabundance of life that flows out from the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is unbroken. God is unbroken. He is undamaged. He is unfallen. He is completely complete and entire within the Godhead. See, when we talk about holiness from God's viewpoint, it means perfection. It means perfection. God is perfectly perfect. If I can use that. He is perfectly perfect. And so when 
Jesus exhorted us in, in Matthew chapter, 40, uh, chapter 5, verse 48, that we should be perfect even as God is perfect. What was he saying? He was calling us. He was inviting us to a life of wholeness and wholeness. Wholeness. Spirit, soul, and body whole in complete essence. Amen? Jesus came to make unbroken people whole. You see, uh, when, before we were born again, uh, we had a dead spirit. Not that the spirit wasn't there. Not that it was, it, it was annihilated. It was separated from God, which is the source of life. We were separated from God. A dead spirit. Dead unto God, but alive unto the world. So we were broken. Jesus came to mend our brokenness. To make us whole again. Spirit, soul, and body. And so if you are here this morning, you are a believer, you are holy. <laughs> I say you are holy. Yeah. You know, because the holiness is not yours. The holiness is not yours. You know why you are holy? First Corinthians 1, uh, 30. It says that by him, by the Father, you are in Christ. By the Father, you and I are in Christ. Who was made what? To us, wisdom for what? Righteousness, sanctification or holiness, and redemption. And so if you have Christ in you, you are holy. Because it is the holiness of Christ. The Holy One dwells in you. I say, you know, uh, because God is holy. And the only thing that will be holy is that which he takes possession of. If God has taken possession of you, then you are holy. Don't look at your behavior. You are holy in your person, as far as your spirit is concerned. It says that we have been sanctified. You and I have been sanctified once and for all. In other words, forever. And, and Colossians uh, 2 turns out we are complete. We are in him. There is nothing lacking in us. You understand that? You and I are complete in Christ. You lack nothing. Why do I say that? Because Peter himself has taught us that everything that pertains to life and godliness, we have it. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. And life for me means your identity. In other words, who you are. Godliness means your behavior. So everything that pertains to your identity as a child of God, as well as your behavior that will match up with who you are, has been given unto us. Since we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings, we are in the heavenlies. You and I have been blessed with all of them. And that is a great message. So now, let's go back to our motivation for living a holy life. Paul, in that passage, gives us two reasons, two purposes, why you and I should live a holy life. Number one purpose is in uh, verse two. It says, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? How shall we who died to sin still live in sin? 
or will not live a holy life. You see, the moment you receive Christ, and let me ask you, when you receive Christ, what did you receive? When you received Christ, the day that you were born again, what did you receive? And somebody answered that question. What did you receive when you received Christ? The life. You see, uh, Apostle John gave us the reason why he wrote the book of John. He said, I'm writing this to you, number one, to show that Christ, Jesus Christ, is the Messiah. And that if you believe in him, that you receive what? Life. Because we were, we, we were dead. Like Pastor Sheena uh, preached last week, we were dead in our trespasses. And what does a dead man need? Life. life. A dead man needs life. So, the moment we receive Christ, life came in. And he says that because Christ was crucified, the moment we receive him, we were translated into Christ. We were put in Christ. And being put in Christ, whatever Christ went through, we also went through. And this is, this is not semantics. This is the truth. We were crucified in him. And then when Christ was raised from the dead, he says we were raised unto what? A new life. A new life. Well, I'm still standing here. You're still sitting there. So how did you die? How were you crucified? You see, one thing about crucifixion is that you cannot crucify yourself. I've heard many people say, I'm going to crucify myself. Have you ever seen somebody, somebody <laughs> crucifying himself? In other words, you put your, your hands on the cross and then you take the other hand and nail it. And how are you going to nail the other side? You cannot do that. You cannot crucify yourself. You have to be crucified. You have to be crucified. So the old man, the person we were, was crucified. The old nature was crucified. You see, if I want to change my identity from an Orpheoc to uh, some other name, some other family, okay, it is either I'll be adopted by that family, right? Or I have to be reborn so that I can carry the identity of the other family. Right? Okay. The same thing happened in the spirit. God took our old nature and crucified it in Christ. He killed it. Uh, you know, the old man was not just wounded. He was killed. If Christ died, the old man also died. When Christ was buried, the old man was buried. When Christ resurrected unto the newness of, we also was rebirthed with a new nature. Amen? Amen? We were rebirthed with a new nature. So you and I now have, as, a, as believers, we have a new nature. And that nature is called the new man. Amen? Amen. Tell yourself, I'm a new man. It doesn't matter whether you're a woman. Eh? You are a new man, a new nature. If anyone be in Christ, is what? He's a new creation. All things have passed away, and all things have become new. And Ephesians 4, 24 says that this new man, a new woman that you and I are, have been created in the image of God. 
I mean, if we had the image of God before being born again, why does he have to now recreate us in the image of God? No, we lost that image. Amen? And that is the truth. In the, in the book of Genesis, you know, Moses said that when Adam had, when Adam had a son, that it was in the likeness and image of who? Adam. No longer in the likeness and image of God. So when God recreated our new image or our new nature, it is now in the image of God, in true righteousness and what? Holiness. So you and I have a new nature, and that nature is holy. That nature is holy. That nature is no longer subject to sin. That nature does not want to sin, cannot sin. You know, when we say those things, you know, we think that, you know, it is semantics. In the book of uh, 1 John, 1 John says that because we have the life of God, that you cannot sin. Then we will argue. You see, before now, before now, we could sin, but we could not sin. I want you to get this clear. But now we have the new nature. We can sin, and we also cannot sin. Does that make sense? We have the new nature that can sin and also cannot sin. In other words, when you and I sin, we sin because we want to. <laughs> because you have a nature that cannot sin and also can sin. All right. So the new nature that we have is a holy nature. So my motivation for living a holy life is just because my nature is holy. Does that make sense? My nature is holy. The new man that I am today is holy. So my motivation is not so that I could win some brownie points, but because my nature is holy. That is my motivation for living a holy life. The second reason or second motivation is from verse from verse 15. It says, because I am in grace, under grace, and not under the law, should I go out and sin? It says, no way. Impossible. Why? Because if you obey sin, okay, the person that you choose to obey, you become what? A slave unto that person. In other words, if I obey sin, I'm giving myself access to Satan. I'm giving Satan access into my life. And what does Satan bring? What does the devil bring? What, what is the ministry of Satan? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Brothers and sisters, sin still has consequences. Sin. And probably this is not the aspect that is uh, uh, you know, emphasized when the grace message is taught. This is the completeness of the grace message. You know, I teach in the reality of grace, and these are the things that we discuss. Sin has what? Consequences. If Paul, who is the apostle of grace, if he could say in Colossians chapter 3, verse 25, you write that down. It says, if anybody does wrong, 
Colossians 3, please put it up from there. Colossians chapter 3, verse, verse 25. 3, 25. Is it there? Okay. But let me paraphrase it. It says, if anybody does wrong, that he will be punished for the wrong. He will be punished for the wrong. For God is no God of partiality. Are you hearing me? Sin brings shame. Sin brings us destruction. It brings, you know, it pierces our hearts with sorrow. Pierces our hearts with sorrow. Irrespective of, of who you are, sin will always, yeah, that's it. For he who does wrong will receive what? The consequences of the wrong which he has done. And that without partiality. doesn't matter if you are the pastors of pastors, the bishop of bishops. And we have seen you know, the wreckage that sin has done in the lives of servants of God. All over the world. Look at the shame that it brings. You know, the horror of being exposed. You know, we bring it home into our families. You know, you know, the, you know, the havoc that sin has wrecked in our families. In our families. I'm not talking about families out there. Here, homes are scattered. People are living in bitterness, in unforgiveness. People are living in fear. The Bible says that fear is a, is a, is a tormenting spirit. It torments us. Sin has consequences. And so we don't want to expose ourselves. We don't want Satan to have access into our lives. Why? Because he's going to bring in sin, which will always result in death. Now, that word death, you know, we, we, we always think probably it's just physical death. You know, death just means absence of life. Death means absence of life. You know, there are so many dead men walking. That's what I mean. They don't have the life of Christ. They don't have the life of God. They don't have the fulfilled life. You know, if I'm experiencing death, even though I'm still alive, it means that I do not have God's best for my life. That's what death means. You see, it goes from there to now physical death and even the solical death. The Bible talks about all of those things. Amen? Amen? And so, we don't want Satan to have access into my life. And therefore, that's my motivation for living a holy life. Number one was that my nature is holy. Okay, my nature is holy. Number two, that we don't want to have, we don't want Satan to have access into our lives. Is the time up? <laughs> okay, just to round it up now. What is the application of this? What is the application? Number one applic application is that we are running a race and we want to win in this race. It's a race of life. Okay. We are running a race and we don't want weights. The Bible says that lay aside all the weights and the sin that so easily besets us. You see, the one that has given us this race, it doesn't matter to him if you come first or last. It doesn't matter to him if you come first or last. But what matters to him is that you run the race to the end. So every sin 
In fact, that place talked about one sin, and that sin was what? Unbelief. I'm so glad that we are going to tackle unbelief. But we have weights. Our pride, our low self-esteem, our procrastination, our anxieties, our shame, and all of that. Those are the weights that can tie us down. So let's run this race to win. Looking unto what? Jesus. Jesus. Who is our holiness. Amen. That is one application. The last application is that motives is everything. Is everything. I can do the right thing, but I don't have the right motives. It will not give me the right result. So right motives will give the right result. So my motivation for living the holy life is not because God will not bless me, but it's because that is who I am. And that is the second reason is because I don't want access, Satan to have access into my life. And holiness helps you. It doesn't help God. It helps you. Amen? Amen. Holiness helps you. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, what a glorious truth that you bring to us. And this truth, I rejoice that this truth are not just words. Jesus Christ is a truth, is a way, and is a life. It is your will that we be holy. It says sanctification is your will. So, Father, thank you that it is not our own holiness, but Christ, who has been made wisdom unto us, both for righteousness, holiness, and redemption. We praise you, Father, that we will continue to walk in this holiness to the praise and honor of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.